0: Seeking mental health care can be overwhelming and even scary, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dr. Josephine McNary, and I'm committed to making this process easier for you. Each week, my expert guest and I unravel a different form of therapeutic intervention in order to bring comfort and understanding and to help you get back to your true self. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm pleased to have on as our guest, Lauren Seamus, LMFT. She's a psychotherapist specializing in treating ADHD or anxiety at any age. She works with clients online and in person in Sacramento and in El Dorado Hills. Today, we talk about her work with family-based treatments for ADHD from childhood to adulthood. Welcome, Lauren.
1: Thank you so much, Josephine, for having me on today. I'm excited to to do this. Yeah. So I know one of your
0: specialties is working with family-based treatments for ADHD maybe the first place we should start is what does that mean? <laughs> what is that? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So family-based treatment for ADHD is really the best evidence-based approach to work with kids with ADHD. Cognitive behavioral therapy is a really good treatment for adults with ADHD or you know, high schoolers possibly, but really the best way, and the research is called parent management training, is adding the parents into treatment so they can really start to put some systems into place for executive functioning skills so the system can start to change around the kid. And that's really what, what makes change in the symptoms of ADHD with the child. So it's Got really it. essential to include the parents in that way. And there's also other things we do in that as well. And I'm sure it depends on the age of
0: the child. The intervention mm-hmm. looks different depending on the different age. Yeah. So what would be some typical interventions or it's called parent management training? Yeah, that's what it's called in the research, Yeah. Okay. So what would be some typical intervention suggestion Mm -hmm. that a parent might get for a young child, say early elementary?
1: So it really depends on how the child is struggling with ADHD. So some kids end up having some oppositional behaviors. So if there's some emotional dysregulation with that, then it might be centered around, you know, even parents keeping their cool more, how they can reinforce other positive behaviors that they want to see. And in that case, the individual work that's part of this, but the kid would also be focusing on some coping mechanisms. If the kid is having trouble getting ready for school in the morning or something like that, and they're always late, that might involve making a system of a list where the kid can check it off, give them a little more independence. It also might involve setting some timers for different parts of the routine and having the parents check in at various points so that a kid sort of learns their routine. They have a little more independence over it so the parents not having to be with them the whole time and these things are really helpful for kids. It might seem, oh, the kid's just going to say, "I don't want to do this list." And some of them do, but often they're like, "Okay, my mom can like not be here every minute while I'm getting ready. Like, I get to do this list. I get to do it myself. I get to show her like when I've completed the list." And then, you know, parents might first start. Oh, well, the kid just they don't want to go to school on time, or they're doing this on purpose, or whatever. And then they give the list or whatever specifically designed for their you know, executive functioning challenges, and they're like yeah, like isn't really a problem anymore, right? So it's like, that kind of proves it's like, okay, well, it was the brain-based disorder of ADHD that was really getting in the way. It wasn't really oppositional or the kid wasn't trying not to follow directions or something like that.
0: Right, I was thinking that a lot of kids who have ADHD, who struggle with ADHD, Mm -hmm. kind of a a low sense of self in terms of what they can Mm -hmm. accomplish for themselves. And it sounds like part of this treatment is trying to implement strategies that allow kids to have a sense of mastery. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And then the parents are often like very overworking and they're very burnt out because they have to repeat themselves a bunch, even though the getting ready in the morning is the same steps every day. They're like, why does the kid keep coming with no socks? Why? We've been over this a million times, right? And so it gets exhausting for the parents. So yeah, the kid gets to get more independence. They don't have to be sort of like, hurry up. They don't have to like kind of experience that they have more independence over it. And then the parent also, it's sort of like outsourcing a little bit to this list so that by the time you get in the car, you're not already like frustrated. Right. I also think that it seems so simple, right?
0: It's Mm -hmm. like, just keep a list, but it also seems like coming from a clinician is a little bit Mm -hmm. different than coming from a parent in a child's world.
1: Yeah. And this wouldn't be for every family. It really Mm -hmm. depends on which executive functioning skills the kid is struggling with. You know, some kids with ADHD might not have trouble with the planning prioritization that might require a list. They know what to do, but they need a timer so that it goes off every five minutes to bring their attention back to what they're doing. So it's really Mm -hmm. personalized and maybe some tweaks to systems that are already working. So that's part of it. It's like, well, what already is working for you and your style? The parent's like, well... No you know, humor is a really big thing. Like, okay, well, how can we do this in like a funny way? So how do you bring the family values into it and pieces of what the parents are already doing that is working? Got it. So I'm just kind of curious about
0: some other interventions. Yeah, and, of course. And, I mean, assuming what happens is you meet with the family and mm-hmm. you just dissect what's going on in terms yes. of where the deficits are, where the struggles are, the mm-hmm. frustrations.
1: And from there, then you create some strategies for them. Yeah. Yeah. So it really is like dissecting. It feels very like, okay, well, when does this happen? Does this happen every day or what leads up to this? So it's a lot of questions around tracking, like, does this difficulty only happen when the kid is up with a night terror at night or when it's like Monday morning and their sleep schedule has been off for the weekend. So it's really, yeah, like dissecting or investigating, really pinning down exactly when behaviors happen or exactly when struggles happen, because that's how you sort of pinpoint the right interventions to do it. Right. If this kid is sort of not having issues planning prioritizing in other parts of their life, but then it's just the mornings, the list that focuses on planning prioritization might not be right because they're not showing that deficit in other areas. Maybe it's more about time management or a disorganization issue they can't find what they're looking for.
0: Right. So moving on to
1: maybe older kids, I'm sure there's a lot of overlap, but what do you tend to see with more older teens, maybe? Yeah. So I See a lot more emotional regulation issues as is the presenting problem when I'm working with teens with ADHD. It's just sort of a combination, especially when the teens are sort of late diagnosed or they might've had an early childhood diagnosis, but it's hard to be a parent of an ADHD kid. It's not normal parenting stuff. It's like they have to have these other set of parenting skills that they haven't acquired from media and like other families they're running into. So not at all this is blame on parents. It's just, it takes specialized parenting knowledge that people don't have access to, right? But if the self-esteem issues that might start at six with these issues, they kind of grow or any sort of smaller oppositional behaviors when a kid's like becoming oppositional around like what to eat for breakfast and things like that. If that's sort of not figured out of how to give more choices in other ways, then that sort of snowballs. And then you have a sort of an oppositional or emotionally dysregulated teenager, right? So that's typically what I see as a presentation with ADHD. So in that case, we still work on the same things. We work on parents keeping their cool. And at that point, little kids can learn this too, but teenagers are able to get more into the cognitive behavioral therapy content and then some more self-regulation things. So everybody in the family at that point knows about getting dysregulated, how to calm yourself. And so the goals there are more around avoiding and reducing family conflict, but you're still working on self-esteem and attachment at the same time, but just in what's appropriate for that age. Boundary setting at that age might be around going with friends or sneaking out or like substance use at that point, right? If it's sort of escalated to that point. So that's sort of, those are more of the oppositional sort of behaviors that we see versus like working with a kid with ADHD. And not all the time, right? Sometimes it's just actually a lot of girls who have ADHD in high school. Like I think a lot of women in general, they tend to do more hiding. And so they might not have those over behaviors. So it really just depends on the family and what the presenting issue is. Right. So I feel
0: like I'm just moving along the lifetime. I know you mm-hmm. see children and you yeah. also see adults. And mm-hmm. so where does this family-based treatment for ADHD come in when the patient is an adult?
1: Yeah. So sometimes we bring in like a partner or somebody who's like living in the current situation with the adult, or definitely when we're kind of doing evaluations and trying to get a sense of the person's symptoms, like definitely sending a questionnaire to people who are close to the client. But yeah, I, I mean, I always think in a systems way, but unfortunately, like as an adult, they're sort of more responsible for like their own reactions and working through things, right? So we're not expecting the system anymore to sort of reshape or help because you know in a partnership or romantic relationship that wouldn't necessarily be a healthy dynamic to have the other partner like enacting structures for the adhd adult but if the adhd adult were to communicate hey can you tell me five minutes earlier so it's more of empowering adhd adult to ask for specific accommodations in the relationship mm-hmm. and to ask for specific help on things rather than helping the partner put things on the adult one thing I wanted to
0: ask in the beginning, but I didn't, mm-hmm. is how did you become specialized in this? What was the path yeah. that led you to this specific type of therapy?
1: Yeah. So before COVID, I was in community mental health in San Francisco and just, I mean, we're not supposed to have favorite clients, but <laughs> we ended up doing it. The kids that I found just totally entertaining and also like pulled on my heartstrings because they were so misunderstood where the kids that ended up being diagnosed with ADHD and at that point, I wasn't working in a family system way. I would do collateral meetings with parents, but a lot of these families, the parents were working multiple jobs and they really just didn't have the bandwidth for, mm-hmm. for another service. And so, you know, individual therapy with these kids, we worked on self-esteem, we worked on frustration tolerance, and those are the things you can do in individual therapy with ADHD. But really their environment wasn't changing because I wasn't able to work with the parents on understanding. So they were still experiencing the pressure and misunderstanding from the outside. And so something that just felt a little incomplete. And then I just started to get more knowledge and started to run across this. And I'm like, yeah, of course, that makes sense. And so I started working with parents more. And then just the more I learned, the more and more I'm working in a systemic way. I mean, also do joint sessions sometimes. So you have everybody together, like the parents and the child. And then that's a good place for everybody to kind of bring things up and then split off with the kid in the session. Off with the parents in session, and then kind of come back to recommunicate everything. So yeah. And that's more kind of structural family therapy. Mm-hmm. So really moving much more towards working in a system now, because I mean, I love play therapy. I worked with kids individually. It's so much easier clinically, quote unquote, to like work with a kid individually. They come in, you do play therapy and there's a lot to play therapy. Right. But working in this way is a lot more difficult, but it's what's evidence-based for ADHD, right? The play therapy doesn't tackle... I wanted play therapy to work for ADHD symptoms, right? It works for the depression, anxiety, and self-esteem. But really what the research says is that the parents and the system really have to change to impact symptoms in this. So I had no choice (laughs) (laughs) because I wanted to be effective. Yeah. Right. It's not a closed system, right? It's not just
0: the patient. The patient is the whole family system. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, and I think a lot of it has to do with just educating the family system or finding better ways to mm-hmm. move forward. And a lot
1: mm-hmm. of it is like mindset, right? It's the information. So then when their kids lagging behind or having struggled with the transition, they're able to say, like, oh, this is that executive functioning thing. It's not that my kid is trying to do this. Right. So then it brings more empathy and they're parents are more likely to be like, not being like, I told you already, right? They're like, oh, my kid's hyper-focused into this video game and they can't even hear me the first two times that I say mm-hmm. something, right? So then they're more likely to try the third time with a common voice again, right? So it just, that understanding helps parents be more patient. Right. I'm just thinking about parents who
0: might be listening. Then the mm-hmm. other thought is, but how do I hold my child accountable? for like transitioning and things like that. Yeah. And I think maybe that's the role of a therapist to kind of help have that
1: balance. So there's a lot of structure around sort of natural consequences and things like that. And a lot of structure around time with things and actually oppositional sort of behaviors can start by kids kind of pushing out and like looking for cracks and inconsistencies. And so a little bit of it is tightening down on the things that are really Mm -hmm. important and loosening up on Choices that might not impact other members of the family. So it's about being consistent. So, video games, if parents don't have a defined amount of time for video games, then that's one of the things. And you can do a lot of really cool things with technology. Like there's routers that you can have a certain device, like an iPad, only have internet for certain hours. So, we always try to think of like technology and ways the parents can kind of outsource that. So, when the iPad goes off and the kid might have a timer or a clock in front of them and they start playing another campaign on the video game. And the iPad loses internet. It's not really the parent's fault because the kid knew and it's not like the parents doing a punishment by going in, unplugging the internet, right? It's less personal and it's just a system that's set up and the Mm -hmm. kid, you know, is extra incentivized to, okay, well, I know the internet goes off at six. So do I have enough time to play another video game or is it going to get cut off in the middle? Mm -hmm. So then they start thinking more about some time management things to make the most of their time with the technology. Well, I really appreciate you
0: being on and enlightening me about some of these strategies. Mm-hmm. I can imagine some parents might be listening who have children with ADHD and they wonder mm-hmm. wonder about maybe learning more about this. Are there mm-hmm. any good resources you can think of that they can check yeah. out? In addition, I'll
1: have your information as well. Yeah, there's um, a book that's Mindful Parenting for ADHD. So they can just type that into Amazon and they'll find the right one. There's also CHAD, so Children and Adult with ADD. That's awesome. They have a lot of like parent-to-parent trainings on there that are week-long. They have a lot of good articles. And there's also some local parent groups that are put on by Chad. And then there's also Attitude. It's A-D-D-I-T-U-D-E. I particularly love their podcast episodes. And so you can search for Attitude on the podcast app, or you can also go to their website and you can look at all the episodes they have. So those are it's a really good source of information. There's also a ton for clinicians. So they're all at different levels. So okay, always good. I will make sure those are just added to the episode description as yeah. well so people can check okay. them out.
0: Well, thanks for being on. I really do appreciate yeah. it. Before we say goodbye, Denny, I would just like to ask last
1: word to leave the Thank listener with. Yeah, so I think the last word is that like, I think parents are like, oh, now I have to sort of do this. It's all me. Like I have to change my stuff. So this must be my fault of what's mm-hmm. happening. And that's sort of not at all the message we're trying to send. It's like none of these parents knew that they were going to have a child who had ADHD or who would more easily fall into oppositional behaviors. They didn't know they needed these extra parenting strategies and skills. And so you know, it's definitely the parents are the ones that have the power to kind of change some of these things, but it's not their fault that nobody told them they needed to be different. Right. You know, a lot of these parents, they've like, I've read all the books, i read this and that, but they just didn't have the information about ADHD. So it's really not their fault. And asking for help and more information is clinicians. We won't sort of shame them. And it's like just information for them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes things that feel kind of simple, it's just helpful to have a specialist kind of go Mm -hmm. over and and
1: really strategize in terms of how to implement those things in a way that maybe isn't going to be more effective. Yeah. Because it's not just make a list, right? It's a ton Mm -hmm. of questions leading up to what sort of list. is Mm -hmm. the list need to be colorful? Do there need to be a lot of copies? Does it need to be carried around the house. So it's really personalized when you get expert help.
0: Yeah. I'm glad you're out there doing yeah, good work. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks for being on. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. This has been Mind Stories with me, Josephine McNary of Cal Psychiatry. With online psychiatry in California and 13 offices throughout Southern California and the Bay Area, Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management ADHD, anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com and let us help you get back to your true self. Thanks for listening to Mind Stories and don't forget to subscribe.